So what we want to do is make sure each and every one of us understands the Great Commission and what our responsibilities are related to that. So what is the Great Commission? The Great Commission refers to several passages in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus uh, Christ urges his apostles to make disciples of all nations and baptize them. The Gospel of Matthew does not specifically use the term the Great Commission. So if you are going to go to uh, Matthew, one of the concordances and you put in the Great Commission, guess what? You're not going to find it. But it's, it's not in there, but it was a term or a phrase that was coined by uh, a guy named Baron Justian in the 17th century. And what actually, he argued that in Matthew 28, it meant that all Christians were required to spread the faith, not just Jesus' closest disciples. So he's saying that in the, the scope of things, as you look at the term disciples in Matthew 28, Matthew is expanding the disciples from the 11 to all of us that believe in Jesus Christ. Now, two centuries later, the Englishman Hudson Taylor is believed to have used the idea of the Great Commission to justify Christian missionary efforts to the mainland of China starting in 1866. Huston, Hudson is cited uh, in saying this quote, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered, but it is a command to be obeyed. But what I want to also alert you to is that Christian missionary activities predated the use of the term Great Commission. It may not have been a phrase that was coined before then, but Paul, who was influential in establishing Christian churches uh, throughout the Mediterranean after the death of Christ, was all about using or, or actually uh, employing the Great Commission. So as, as you're sitting here, maybe you're wondering why the Great Commission matters. First of all, the Great Commission matters because of who gave it to us. Who made the, the, the command of the Great Commission? Well, Jesus Christ did. Uh, and Jesus Christ did this so that we would know that we couldn't just sit there waiting for him to come back, but we had a job to do. It matters also because of what was said. He's telling us that it is an active thing to do. Christianity is not uh, something that is passive, but it's active. You are to go and do. Also, it matters because of when it was given. These are the final words of Christ. This is when Jesus is saying uh, what needs to be done for things to continue. Also, the Great Commission matters because of how the disciples responded. The, the disciples, at the given time that they were supposed to, went forth and spread the word of God. 
So we have to ask ourselves, does it matter if someone hears the gospel in their lifetime? You see, for us as Christians who have heard the saving message of Jesus Christ, we have to ask within ourselves, does it matter if other people hear the gospel? So if the gospel is how eternal salvation is received and we are given the call to share the salvation, should the Great Commission matter to us? And if so, how should we respond? You see, if the hope for the lost individual, whether next door or in the most remote part of the earth, uh, is acceptance of the gospel. There's no hope without the gospel. Without the gospel, people, and, and uh, we don't use this word very much, they go to hell. Eternal damnation. Uh, gosh, it's described as uh, being in a constant fire. You see, Jesus entrusts us with spreading of hope the world. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 reads like this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, uh, to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am always, uh, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, as he is speaking, uh, lets them know, first of all, all authority. It's not, uh, it's not just something off the top of his head. This comes from God himself. Jesus is saying this is important. This is a command. This is something that you need to be about. And so we have the Great Commission, uh, as we've just read it. And to put it in our language of today, the Great Commission can be broken down into four different parts. First of all, it's all about bringing people into spiritual discussions. When he says for us to go, he is telling us that we need to uh, get out of our comfort zones, to get out of our churches, to get out of our homes and make sure that we are eye-to-eye and face-to-face -face with people and talking about Jesus. <clears throat> now, we're going to unpack that a little bit more in just a second, so hold that thought. Also, we are to connect people to Christ. If, if you've been around me in the last couple of months, I'm going to tell you this is our why. If someone wants to walk up you and, uh, today after church and ask you, uh, what are Christians supposed to do? What is the mission of the church? What is the mission uh, for you, particular as an individual Christian? And it, it's simple. Connect people to Christ. That's our job. That's what we should have instilled into us. That should be our DNA, that's what we need to be doing. He says, bring people into discussions, connect people to Christ. Next, what he tells us in the Great Commission is to disciple people, teach people. Now, as he says, disciple people, disciple means more than just being a teacher. A, a teacher in those times that would have disciples, they would be watching the complete lifestyle of the person. 
They would be totally engrossed in trying to find out uh, what all the aspects of that person's life were about and then trying to copy that. Disciple people. Teach them how to function as a Christian. And then lastly, equip people for life. It's not just about uh, taking people under the water and bringing them back up and then releasing them to go and uh, find their way. He says, teach them all that I have commanded. It's about equipping people to meet all the challenges of life that come their way. So as we start breaking down the scripture, first of all, verse 19 tells us to go. And as we're trying to figure out what does it mean to go, therefore, uh, and, and make disciples, uh, we can look at other scriptures uh, that have an outgoing message, uh, like Luke 24, 47, uh, that says that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You need to start by, t uh, by proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. When we are going, we are also active and, and we are proclaiming that something has changed our lives. And also in Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. The idea of going isn't just uh, a finite, localized spot. It's wherever you go, wherever you live, wherever you breathe. Not just locally, but in the county, in the state, uh, in the nation, and in the world. Jesus wants us to go everywhere with his message. In verse 18, he says this, possessing all the authority that there is. Possessing all the authority, he is now going to give a command. He's telling us not to sit on God's saving message. That God and him have come up with a plan to save mankind, and it is incumbent upon us to get up and move out and take the message to a lost world. Also, Jesus is telling us that we need to share this message with everyone we encounter. We talked about this earlier. I call it the three-foot rule. If you're within three feet of someone or closer, try to talk to them about Jesus. But do it in stages. Start with ordinary conversations. Uh, get to know them better. And then uh, learn where they are in their Christian walk or in their spiritual walk. When Jesus tells us this, when Jesus is telling us to go, he possesses all the authority that there is. So he's commanding this with all the power and the dominion of God. Folks, it's a power-packed idea. It's not a sleepy message. It's not uh, something that should be lightly thought of. The idea here of, of this is that God wants us to be out there active and doing. So we need to connect people to Christ. 
That's the second part of this. The first part is bring people into spiritual discussions. Number two, connect people to Christ. You see, the purpose that we have is to connect people to, to Christ. And we do this uh, by engaging people in conversations that lead to spiritual conversations. And you're saying, what does that mean? Uh, conversations to spiritual, in fact, it's in conversations that lead to conversion. We're going to start off talking to people about politics. Let's not dwell on politics, though. That's a bad thing if you dwell on politics very long. And if you're talking about sports, we could talk about the Texas-Alabama football game. Yeah, hook them horns, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's just another venue. You can talk to people. We could talk to uh, uh, people about the importance. Janet, I have, have one for you. The importance of the foster system, right? Uh, taking kids that, that their parents have either abandoned them or left them in a bad way, finding homes for them and bringing them into a Christ-filled home. See, that's what Agape Villages does. That's, that's the idea behind it. So engage people in conversations that lead to spiritual conversion. You don't start off simply, simply by, by blurting out there, hey, are you going to heaven or hell? You, wanna, you want to actually build relationship in that process. So as you engage in conversation, always be honest. We want to have integrity in our conversations also, be vulnerable. Be willing to admit that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that you are not perfect, that you, uh, you have uh, messed up. Because you know what? All of us have messy lives. All of us have things that we're not proud of, but all of us have things that Jesus has forgiven. Also, when we're trying to have spiritual conversation this is a tough one for me. Talk less and listen well. Don't inundate them with conversation so much that all they're hearing is you go yakety, yakety, yak, okay? Make sure you're, you're using questions and trying to pull them into the conversation so that they can ask questions about what makes your life different. And then also, guide the conversation. There are just so many times that you can talk about the politics of the day. Try to bring in other aspects so that you can get to where you need to head. So guiding conversations to spiritual uh, conversations is simply this. It's, it's, a, it's actually, at some point in your relationship with others, we have to intentionally shift the conversation. So how do we do that? We have external conversations that are followed by internal conversations that lead to eternal conversations. And that's, that's where we want to go. So what are external conversations? I'll tell you what, guess what? Every one of us is an expert about external conversations. You see, external conversations are all about money, our jobs, uh, recreation. It's about the weather. Hey, how about the weather? How about the fact that lightning struck uh, a power pole in Modesto yesterday and a lot of people didn't have power for several hours? 
me, that's a great starting place. The power of God's lightning happened there. A good conversation starter. How about this also, family? Everybody's got a kid that they're proud of. I know I do. Anybody got grandkids? Man, tell us about those grandkids, huh? I'll tell you what, Terry McHenry's got uh, at least two grandkids that uh, we spent Friday night with. Man, those are some good kids. One of them is a weed puller, okay? If you have weeds, this two-year-old will find the weeds in your garden and bring them to you. Great character trait. But then also, politics. All kinds of things out there. You can, you can just, this, the list goes on and on. External conversations is how we enter into relationships with people. So, here's the issue, though. But if we only talk about external circumstances of life, we never have deeper conversations. And what we want to do is to move from the external to discuss the internal. And I know what you're thinking right now is, how do we do that? So, internal conversations, that's the next thing. Discussing uh, discussions that concern life experience and how something has impacted a person's everyday life. It's no longer just about the fact that the Longhorns beat Alabama. It's the fact that it is a euphoric feeling to know that that Alabama has been beaten. No, not really. But feeling, the feelings, see you're moving from the facts to the feelings. We want to know how people feel about things going on in their life. We want to ask him questions is, uh, understand your mother has dementia. Or with Joan. Joan, how did Louis body dementia impact your life? You know, uh, to ask, ask uh, Helen Hinton, when your boys passed away in a kayaking accident, how did, how did you feel? You know, trying to to take where you are in here and then start funneling things down. It's feelings about relational issues, impact of long-term illness, approach to inevitable changes. I tell you, I know someone who likes to cut hair. I know that, that they have a job that they have to do uh, right now, every day, but you know what? As soon as that job is over, they want to go cut hair. That's my friend Gary Patton. He has studied cutting hair. He has dreamed about cutting hair. But you know what? That's something we can talk to Gary about and, and take it down to the next level. And then there are the inevitable changes of life like career, housing, mobility. All these different things are things that we can discuss. Internal conversations. When we ask questions that examine what is going on internally, we have gone to the deeper level. Uh, we're steering the conversation towards examining how the external circumstances of life have impacted the person, and you're, you're actually talking about what's going on inside them. Questions that we might want to ask. How did that make you feel? 
when that happened to you? When, what were your thoughts when you experienced this? How about this? How did you react to the situation? And then if they are on the, the side of, of life where they are transitioning out of a situation, how are you dealing with this at the moment? See, that leads us to the eternal conversations, which are spiritual discussions concerning a person's belief, faith, God, heaven. Eternal conversations are about heaven. What your picture of heaven is uh, needs to be discussed, or your picture of, of hell. But you could also tell them about the Jesus and his story. You can talk about God and how mighty he is and how great God has done throughout the ages in saving his people from their own selves. A lot of times what you would want to do is talk about belief systems. What do you believe? Do you believe that there is an afterlife? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Eternal conversations. Find ways to transition from external to the internal to the eternal. Questions such as, what do you think God may be up to through this? Well, that would have been a good one for the pandemic. You know, what, what do you think God was up to? What have you been most thankful for during this time in your life? a great way to, to get to the eternal. Do you feel you're having to rely on your faith more now that you're in this phase of your life? You see, what we want to do is ask questions aimed at exploring the eternal aspects of how God shapes us through our experiences and how this helps us consider issues of eternal significance. What is God doing to move us or to move you or to bring you closer to him. So what can we learn from these three steps? First of all, a good spiritual conversation ultimately arrives at things of eternal importance. Another thing that we can learn is that not every conversation ends up there. But we should have as our goal to contribute what we can uh, to having deeper conversations with those we interact with. Keeping in mind that there is a reason for there being three steps, it can be rather off-putting for someone to jump directly over external and internal and land immediately in the eternal. People find that manipulative. People sometimes uh, will turn off the relationship at that point. Also, we don't want to force conversations, nor do we want to linger back out of the fear that things may get uncomfortable as we seek to create opportunities to speak of things of God. We are going to be uncomfortable when we go from talking about uh, the external and start talking about the eternal. Sheer, sheerly, or, or surely because of the fact that these are the most important things that we can talk about. When you're doing this, 
move as the Spirit directs you. The Spirit will prompt you. Again, part of that is make sure you're prayed up before you're launching out. Let God uh, pave the way as you have prayed to Him about it. So that was a rather lengthy section there, I know, but it is important. In, in 19b, he says, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I believe that it is important to understand that this is the connection point to Christ. And I say that because of Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Uh, Romans 6, 3, 4 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Connection to Christ. When we actually uh, have made the statement that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we go down into the watery grave of baptism, you see we are meeting Jesus at the cross. Our connection to Christ, we are baptized into Jesus because we are hanging ourselves on the cross and we are breathing no more because we are under water. We are in the grave because we have died to ourselves. But just as we have died, we have now, when we come up out of the water, we have been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And then we walk in newness of life. So we are making disciples of all nations, baptizing them. The importance of baptizing people is you are connecting them to Christ, and they are meeting Jesus at the cross, and they are dying to self like he did on the cross. Our connection begins as we are baptized into Christ. We are baptized into his death. You see, we are buried with him by baptism. But folks, here's the good news. The good news, we are raised from the dead, like Christ, into the newness of life as we emerge from the water. Folks, that's good news. We are raised from the dead. We, we are not, when we are baptized, death no longer has a victory. Death no longer has a sting. We are new creatures. Notice in 19b, it also says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Using the power given to him, he uses, uses it to anoint the new followers. In the name of. You see, our identity changes upon baptism. Your identity, you were going in one direction, you repented, you're going in another direction, and now you're, you're calling on God to change you. And, and here Jesus is saying, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, He is saying, you have a new identity. You were lost. You were lost to your sins, your transgressions. You were lost to your sins, and you are forever uh, sent to hell if you did not change your ways. You were lost. You were mortal. You were just merely walking around on this earth as, as a person every day 
and there was nothing special about you. But now that you have been baptized, you are a spiritual creature with everlasting life. You have gone from the, the old person to the new saved person. You see, connection with Christ begins at baptism. Verse 19, he continues, and he says, makes disciples of all nations. And folks, I don't know about you, but uh, we are not a discipling nation. We may be a discipling nation, but we don't use that word every day. Uh, I was mentioned in class this morning, and, and Eric, thanks for doing that. You know, uh, what we do is mentor we mentor people. We actually let people shadow us uh, at, the, at the job place. We, we have all kinds of uh, terms for helping people to learn what they're supposed to do. In verse 19 here, make disciples of all nations. We are supposed to, as Christians, be, to be examples for people to see how things are supposed to be done. You see, a disciple is one who believes and accepts Jesus' claims about his identity. Jesus says he is the Holy One of God, and God is calling us to be holy as he is holy. You see, discipleship radically changes our life externally. We no longer are who we were previously. Our identity has changed, and we have new meaning and purpose in our lives. John 13, 34 and 35 tells us that disciples love each other. God wants us to stand out in our communities because it is going to be obvious that we care about one another. Also, disciples stick to Jesus' words. When you say you believe something that God did, you know the scripture and verse that goes with it because it's God's word that is guiding us to where we need to be. John 15, 8 tells us that disciples' lives bear fruit. You're bearing fruit for the kingdom. You're living a life uh, that is helping others learn about Jesus. You're, learn, you're living the ethical, moral life that God wants you to live so that others can see Him through you. You see, discipleship causes the disciple to walk and live like Jesus. Now he says, doing this to the people of all nations. You see, a disciple can be anyone from anywhere. God doesn't know racial barriers. God does not know political barriers. God does not know uh, any, any, any place that you place a wall in Christianity, God says, tear it down. Disciples, followers of Christ, people that are trying to live like Jesus lived can be from anywhere. Now, discipleship does not stop with self. Discipleship not only involves being with him, being like him, and following him, it also means that we make it our goal to disciple others. We can't just be about self-care. Self-care is important, folks, but the fact of the matter is if we spend all our time 
Uh, well, we don't do that anymore. We don't go to bookstores for books anymore, do we? We can't spend all our time on the Internet uh, in great searches on how to make me a better me. It's not what God wants. God does want you to be a better you, but what God wants you to do is to read his book and then help other people to become better by following him. You see, the Great Commission is not just another good idea, though it is a good idea. It is the church's marching order. So making disciples. What in, what's in it for us? Well, in making disciples, we need to have the willingness to step aside, step aside uh, or beside someone to train them. We have to make sure that we're willing to bring someone with us, uh, show people how it's done, to be the mentor to be the disciple maker that God would want us to be. See, that means willingness to let someone shadow you. And then also willingness to be vulnerable and be observed in all of life situations. And folks, this is not easy. I'm going to tell you, it is not easy because I don't know about you, I make mistakes. If you, if you hang around me uh, full time, you're going to know that uh, I am going to slip. I'm going to fall, but I tell you what, I am going to keep getting up. I'm going to keep trying to stay focused on Jesus. You see, relating, to, relating Scripture to people gives others the skills that they need to face the world. And that's what our job is, helping people face their life situations to the best possible ability so that the glory of God can be seen in all situations. You see, that's what we're doing when we are equipping people for life. We are helping them to learn that life is doable. I may have lost uh, someone that I loved a few weeks ago, but the fact of the matter is I can live on because God is still with me. I may have lost a job, but you know what? There are other jobs out there and God is with me. Someone may have hurt me at church last week, but you know that's okay because God is with me. In 20, it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this is where I believe he's talking about equipping disciples. And here, equipping disciples instill in them God's word. You're teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so he is summing up that there is written down, or at that time there may be uh, verbal commands and words that people have heard that have come from God that people need to hear. For us today, equipping disciple instills in them God's word. And what does that mean? First of all, what we have to teach everybody that we come in contact with as we are teaching them about God's Word, that God's Word is infallible. That God's Word is inerrant. That God's Word is complete. That God's Word is authoritative. That God's Word is eternal. That God's Word is true. That God's Word is never changing. That God's Word is always relevant. And God's Word is a firm foundation. You see, God didn't just give us the Bible for us to have something to read 
uh, it's not just a reading assignment, it's a life skills assignment. See, disciples are equipped with the Word of God, and that makes them prepared to face life. See, Satan is going to challenge us morally. He is going to place before us uh, things and opportunities that are going to stretch uh, our, our moral ideas. Is it going to be alcohol? Is it going to be pornography? Is it going to be um, uh, sexually explicit things that are on the airwaves? Morally, we are going to be challenged every day in a lot of different places. But God's Word equips us for that. He is going to equip us ethically. I'll tell you what, for me, uh, if getting, getting uh, this is, this is uh, a real-life true thing is, man, I don't know about you, but if I'm in line at the grocery store and the girl has problems with mathematics and she hands me an additional 20, It's hard for me not to celebrate. Are, are you with me? Man, all of a sudden, you know, uh, man, I, I've been handed an, an extra $20 bill. She, you know, it's like I've given, her, I've given her 20 and she's given me $30 in change, and I'm sitting there looking at it like, man, I have won the lottery today. And then, and then, and then Jesus on my shoulder says, yeah, but you know what? Because I've been in management, she is going to have to actually be accountable for that drawer of money that she has there. And then I look up and I see the camera. Oh, wait a minute. There's more accountability. But anyway, the idea ethically, I am going to face situations that cause me to actually have to make a decision whether to, to do the right thing or not. But guess what? Scripture prepares you for that. All that I have commanded, he, he, is, he is trying to, to get us there, but then also uh, equipped spiritually. He wants us equipped spiritually. God does not want anyone to go to hell. Jesus and God uh, and the Holy Spirit, before the world was formed, got together and said, there has to be a, a way out for them because they're going to do dumb things. He, he knew it. He, he, but, and you're saying, why would he create someone who would make bad choices? It's because he loves you. Man, you, you love your children, right? Have your children ever made bad choices? Oh, I'm telling you. But the fact of the matter is, God's word leads us where we can learn what we need to do spiritually, equipped morally, ethically, and spiritually. So this morning, simple question. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? That's what uh, Matthew 18, uh, Matthew 28, 18 says. Therefore, go. Are you ready to 
to take on the command of God to bust through these doors and actually go out and make an eternal difference in the lives of the people that you come in contact with today. It's a big order. I'll tell you what, he, when, when Jesus, as he is getting ready to ascend to go back, says, says these things to us, he's leaving a tall command for us. But he left it for us. You may be sitting here today and you may be saying, well, I like, I like what you said, but maybe, maybe I ought to get my house in order before, before I start uh, doing the Great Commission. Maybe I need to actually be baptized myself. Hopefully the water's ready. I know it'll at least be cold. So we have a baptistry here. It is ready for you if you would like to actually go into the watery grave of baptism. You can be baptized into Christ today if that would be your decision. Possibly you have been baptized into Christ, but you have fallen away. Maybe you have uh, skirted uh, the periphery and you have done an end around on Jesus and you have started living the way of the world. But today you happened in, and you've heard his word, and it's convicted you. The fact of the matter is, we are here for you. When I say we are here for you, we today are the hands and feet for Jesus. It's not that we can forgive your sins. It's not that, that we can save you. It's not that we can do anything. We are the representatives of Jesus Christ today. Jesus can save you, Jesus can forgive you, and Jesus wants you to get it right with him. And so, as Gary leads us in a song, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and if you have any, uh, anything that you need to confess, if you need to be baptized today, you can do that. Uh, we're going to have an elder that's going to go um, through these doors over here and be at the conference room if you want to do this privately and discuss something with him or you can come forward as we stand and as we sing.